my humble pranams at the lotus feet of our beloved Bhagavan. Dear brothers and sisters, my loving Sairams to you all. Let's begin. My talks with you will be very simple, and there's really only one focus, and it goes like this. Wake up, wake up, wake up. For how long will you sleep? For how long will you go on in an almost comatose state, thinking that you are your body, that Swami is God, but that somehow you are different from him? From how long will you go on identifying with your past experiences when Swami has clearly told us that past is the greatest delusion? For how long will you go on slumbering? For how long will you go on sleeping, thinking that you are not God? For how long will you wonder when someone like myself comes here and says that, yes, Swami is God, but how can I be God? How long will you go on deluding yourself? It is time to wake up. The truth is very simple, and it actually only needs a few sentences to summarize. And it would go something like this. You are not the body. You are not the mind. You are not your memories. You are not the ego or your personality. All of the things that have happened to you in this birth is just a dream. No more real than a dream you had 10, 15, or 20 years ago. You are not the body. You are not your thoughts. These are all things that you have put on just as you have put on the clothes that you came into this hall with. They are not you. The true reality is that you are God. You are Sai. And that Sai, that eternal omnipresent Sai, is all that exists. Swami has been telling us this truth for so many decades Yet somehow we slumber on, thinking that, no, how can it be true? Come, let us sing a bhajan, okay, and then go back to sleep again. You are that truth, and that is why you have this physical birth. You have this dream birth in a dream creation, in a dream universe, dreaming all the time that you are somehow different from God. All that exists is the eternal, omnipresent sigh, and that is it. Now, earlier this afternoon, I had a conversation with one of the devotees, and he was saying, yes, yes, I know all that, but how come it's so difficult to understand, to experience? It's actually not very difficult. It's actually quite simple. But there are certain qualities, certain characteristics that prevent us from experiencing this truth. Swami says that this whole creation is like a mirror, what we see to see our own reflection in. Actually, what we perceive is simply our own reflection, as everything is reflection, reaction, resound. But there are certain qualities that happen that cover the mirror, that prevent us from seeing what we truly are. All of us, we look in the mirror every day after we take our bath, after we take our shower, and we look at ourselves as we are. But suppose that mirror were covered with dust, Suppose the mirror were shaking. Suppose the mirror were covered with a cloth. We would not be able to see ourselves at all. And this is what happens to all of us 
This is why we're not able to realize the truth. I want to go over what these qualities are and how we can get rid of them. This is what I'm going to focus on for this first talk today. For tomorrow's talk, tomorrow morning's talk, we will be discussing how we can achieve self-realization through the path of wisdom. Right? There are three paths that Swami gives us traditionally. The path of love, which is so predominant in the Christian tradition, it's so wonderful. The path of love and the path of service. Both of those are wonderfully predominant in the, the Christian tradition. We'll be discussing the path of wisdom first, and then in the afternoon, we'll discuss how we can achieve self-realization through the paths of love and service. And then on Sunday, in the final talk, we'll be discussing how we can... How, I'll tell you a story that will introduce the last talk. Uh, once a devotee asked Swami, said, Swami, tell us what is the best type of devotee? And then Swami proceeded to tell this story. He said that once when Swami had come, when God had come in the form of Krishna in the previous avatar, he was sitting by the side of the Yamuna River. And a devotee came to him at that time and said, Oh, Lord, Krishna, please tell us, please tell me, what is the best type of devotee? So Krishna had the devotee go into the river and bring out a rock. And he asked the devotee to look at the rock. And he said, uh, Krishna, the rock is wet. So Krishna said, the first type of devotee is like this rock. As long as it is immersed in the river, it remains dry. Now he said, break, uh, remains wet, excuse me. It's wet on the outside. Then he asked the devotee to break the rock. And so the devotee took another stone and hit the rock a few times until it broke. And he asked him to look inside the rock. It was all dry. It's only the outer part that was wet. And so Krishna said that first type of devotee is like this rock. Outside they may have the covering of devotion, but inside they are as hard as a stone. Then Krishna asked him to let us see the second type of devotee. So Krishna himself went to the edge of the water and he took the hem of his silk dhoti, his silken garb, and he dipped it into the water and it became wet. And he said the second type of devotee is like this. As long as they are in the water, they are wet with the devotion of love. But then after a few minutes, as the breeze was blowing, Krishna's garb became dry. And he says, this is what happens to this type of devotee. After some time, they lose their sweetness. They lose their devotion. They become dry again. This is the majority of devotees. As long as you are here in this beautiful, inspiring environment, filled with so many other devotees, inspired by the, the activities that are going on, you are soaked with that sweetness of devotion. But as soon as you go home, maya takes over and you become dry as a rock again. Right? This happens to many of us. Then Krishna said the third type of devotee is like this. And he asked that uh, devotee who had come to him to bring some sugar candy. It just had happened that that devotee had gone to a town, had gone to a temple, and as Prasadam had received some rock candy, and Krishna took that rock candy and put it into the river. And what would you expect would happen? The rock candy dissolved into the river. And he says, this is the best type of devotee. They lose themselves in the sweetness of the Lord. There was no more rock candy. It was just the river there. And this is what happens to the best type of devotee. So in the final talk on Sunday, this is what we'll talk about, is how to lose ourselves in the sweetness of Sai. On Saturday evening, there's a question and answer session. So if you have questions that come up during the uh, talks, or if you have uh, general questions, then those can be written down on cards that you can get from the coordinators or the Sevadals, and those will be answered uh, as, the, as appropriate. 
During each talk, I will give you homework, okay? And take this homework very seriously. The homework will be a series of practices that I'm going to expect all of you to do. And what I will do on the subsequent talk is ask for volunteers to describe their experiences with the homework. And I will also pick a few people randomly from the audience to discuss the homework. There will be different types of homework because there are many different types of devotees here. If I look about the crowd, I see that there are some devotees who are just starting their spiritual practice. I won't say beginners, because in spirituality you never know. Someone who's just starting today may become like this tomorrow, and somebody who's been practicing for many decades may only stay there, so we don't know. So let's say people who are just starting their spiritual practice, there'll be other practices for people who've been going on for some time, and there'll be a few practices for those who've been practicing for quite some time and are able to grasp that particular type of, of, of work, homework, that is being given to them. Please take the homework seriously, and do it sincerely. When you report the results, do not feel like you need to say what I want to hear or what you should be saying. Say it as it happened, because if you have trouble with the homework, chances are that other devotees will also have had trouble, and by your saying that, we will work through that difficulty together so that everyone is benefited, okay? We're not here to punish anyone by asking you to, to uh, you're not gonna get a scolding, uh, so, but we want to see what is happening so that we can identify those blocks and work through them. So this is the pattern of the talks. Are we clear on what's going to happen? Yeah? Swami says, He has a wonderful saying that I follow constantly. He says, first be clear, then everything will follow automatically. First be clear, then everything will follow automatically. Because we lack this clarity in our lives, we go this way and that way. Whether it is in our personal life with our families and friends, whether it is with our profession or our hobbies, and whether it is with our spiritual practice, we lack that clarity. Let us say that we said, I want self-realization more than anything else. What would you do? You would organize your life because you have that clarity. You would organize your life such that all the activities of your life dovetail, support, and nourish that one singular goal. But if you lack that clarity, you will come to this retreat, you will be inspired for some time, and after a few weeks you will forget what you had learned. And you will go back to living as before. So let's be clear. I'll give you an example from my own life. Once uh, in an interview, we asked Swami, we said, Swami, uh, we, we, didn't, we don't ask much for Swami uh, because it's, you know, we don't like to ask him for us. But we know there's a secret. If you ask Swami about spiritual topics, he'll continue to speak and speak. But if you ask Swami about worldly type and things like my family, my spouse, my child, and things like that, then he'll just go on and tuck, 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 interview over. So once in this interview, we asked Swami, Swami, please grant us full and complete self-realization. Swami very casually but very firmly said, self-realization, the foundation is self-confidence. The walls are self-satisfaction. The roof is self-sacrifice. Self Excuse me, self-sacrifice. And then you have self-realization. And then he took his hands like this and said, simple, like that. So it starts with this self-confidence. And when you are clear that you are that self, you are that Sai, you are God, you are the Parabrahman, Brahma, Vishnu, Maheshwara, they all exist in you. 
All the devis, they all exist in you. Jesus, Rama, Buddha, they all exist in you. Their other names and forms for you. They're not separate from you. There are seven plus billion people on this planet. Seven billion parts of you. They are not separate from you. The entire creation exists in the palm of your hand, but you're looking someplace else. First, be clear. I'll tell you another story. This was shared to me by some of our students, old students who now work in Swami's hospitals. Once, uh, in, in those days, this happened in the 1990s, late 90s or so, and in those days what would happen is uh, in the evening darshan, the afternoon darshan, Swami would go around uh, with the once with the devotees, and after some point he would give a certain signal to the students, at which point they were to come onto the veranda from where they were sitting. And usually that signal would just be some very, very slight movement of the finger, maybe sometimes behind the back and so forth, like that. And they would come running, 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 like dung 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 onto the veranda and sit down. Swami called it like a herd of buffaloes coming onto the veranda. <laughs> And so this would happen frequently, and the students always looked forward to it. And one day after they had sat down, uh, Swami had gone into the interview room, and they noticed uh, they were facing the interview room door. Uh, there were maybe 50, 80, 100 of them or so. And on the right side, sitting where the doctors usually sat at that time in a chair, was a gentleman who, an American gentleman, or a, a Caucasian gentleman, who looked like he was in his 70s, early 70s or so. So Swami came out of the interview room and uh, talking to the students and then doing like this with his hand. The gentleman was uh, sitting in the chair just uh, 10 or 20 feet away from Swami. Swami said, uh, oh, look, boys, Neil Armstrong has come. And uh, so since Swami looked like this, and then he turned back to the boy. All the boys like, really? You know, like everyone was interested because everyone knows who Neil Armstrong is. So uh, then uh, Swami, he, he likes to teased just a little bit. So he said, see, he went thousands of mile to the, miles to the moon, and all he brought back were some rocks, kada? like this he said, right? Meaning he went all the way to the moon, and all he brought back were rocks. So Neil Armstrong, not knowing Telugu, said, yes, Swami, rocks. <laughs> this. Now, I'm going to break the narrative here to tell you another story. Uh, Neil Armstrong himself uh, shared this story when he was at the ashram, and uh, this happened when the Apollo spacecraft had landed on the moon. They had completed their mission, and they had all gotten back into the spacecraft. They had closed the door. Everything was done. They had completed all their checklists and everything, and they're ready to take off. The thruster wasn't working. It wasn't working. And they tried this. They tried that. They called Mission Control in Houston. It wasn't working. They went through the entire list of, of uh, backup plans, plan A, plan B, plan C. Everything failed. Now they're starting to worry because they couldn't take off without this critical piece of equipment to lift the spacecraft off the surface of the moon. What to do? At that time, Neil Armstrong happened to look out the window of the spacecraft, and what he saw obviously surprised him. He saw a dark-skinned man with a large afro walking on the surface of the moon, carrying a large toolkit in his right hand, walking towards the spacecraft, and he saw him approach the spacecraft, and then the view disappeared as the man went underneath the ship. And about two minutes later, the thrusters came back on by themselves, and they were able to take off back to planet Earth. Now, why do I tell this story? Not to surprise you or, or to, to shock you, but to tell Swami's version of the story. Swami, what he told the boys later privately, is says that, see, we will go hundreds of thousands of miles to go all the way to the moon 
but we refuse to go even one inch inside ourselves. That is the lesson from this story. We'll travel so far, we'll do so many things, but to go even one inch inside? Mm -mm. We will travel all the way to Slotesburg, New York to hear someone speak. We will go all the way to this place. We will do all these things. But to look inside, people will say, no, I can't do it. I don't know how. I'm not good enough. That is for rishis or munis. People have been doing sadhana for so many years. Wake up. How long will you sleep? Saying the same old excuse, lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Wake up. This is your opportunity. When the transition between the Satyasai and Premasai avatars are here, so much is going to happen. Wake up. You don't want to miss all the fun. So the topic for this first talk is going to be purity. Purity. When the uh, committee members had uh, contacted me to speak, they very kindly shared some of the materials that they've been sharing with devotees across the Northeast region. And from what I understand, there's been discourses from Swami on the topic of nama and niyama. That is the do's and don'ts of spiritual practice. These are the first two steps of the Raja Yoga or the Eightfold Ashtanga Yoga path to realization. What that means is that there are eight limbs. Like we have four limbs, there are eight limbs to achieving this, uh, in this particular path, self-realization. Nama and niyama basically means do good things, and don't do bad things. And if you put all, the, all of the steps that are involved together, I'm not going to detail them for you because you have those resources already, and probably you've already, some of you at least have studied them in your study circles. Basically, it comes down to purity. Purity. This is what Swami wants. Purity. At the God level, we are already pure. Right? There's no defect in us. There's no blemish. We are free. We are pure. We are perfect at the God level. But at the Maya level, we tend to pick up all sorts of impurities. And I want to discuss some of these with you because it's very important that you understand them. I'm going to start with the easy things, and then I'm going to go to the more difficult or controversial topics. Okay? So let's start with the easy things. How many of you have uh, smartphones, laptops, computers? I expect almost everyone to raise their hand. Okay, how many of you have iPhones, iPads? Ay, 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 so many of you. Okay. <laughs> how many of you do this? Right? Now, not one time, 20 times per day, right? Yeah, all the time, when you're at the coffee shop, when you're driving, uh, when you're talking to your family, when you're with your boss, when you're in a meeting, when you're supposed to be quiet, when you're supposed to be silent in a retreat. Right? These distractions, these gadgets, these mind-numbing gadgets, they bring us down. They shatter our inner silence. And so one the first part of this purity is to get rid of these distractions, right? Get rid of them. Just get rid of them. Swami once said, take your cell phone and throw them in a well. One of my friends actually did that, and then he lost all his cell phone numbers after that. <laughs> he says, there are three C's that are spoiling the country. Cell phones, computer, and cricket. So these cell phones are wonderful. I'm a doctor. I couldn't live without my cell phone. 
And it's actually nice to be here in America because everyone back in Bangalore knows that I'm here and nobody's calling me for a change. Sometimes I feel like I'm working at a call center. I get so many calls every day from, <laughs> from different doctors, hospitals, patients, etc., etc. But these gadgets are really mind-numbing gadgets. They drive you to distraction. And when you're distracted, how are you going to focus on what Swami says? If Swami called you for an interview, let's say he says, hey, uh, what's your name in the blue shirt? Nikhil. So let's say Swami called Nikhil. Nikhil, come in for an interview uh, tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock. We'll have some things to discuss. And Nikhil comes into the interview room doing like this. <laughs> Nikhil would be Bibhuti after about two minutes. Right? <laughs> These gadgets are driving us to distraction. And what happens is we get addicted to them. And we know this because how many of you had teenagers, teenage kids? What happens if you take your gadget away from your teenager? Right? Mutiny. Right? <laughs> so adults are bad, but the reason kids are so bad is because the adults are setting such a bad example. When the parents don't have sense control, how will the children control their senses? Really, right? When the parents are not able to discipline themselves with the devices and technology that they use, how can you expect the children in the home to do the same? So it starts with the parents, and you have to practice this discipline. What I do in my personal life is I use my phone because I need it for hospital calls and so forth, and I limit the interaction with this device. It's not that it is bad, it is not that it is good. It is just a piece of technology. In the hospital I use, as Satya has said, I use very high-end computers every day. So actually, by the time I come home, I'm sick of computers because I've been using computer for something or the other. And Swami's hospital is technologically very advanced. Everything is on the computer except for the patient. <laughs> so we're all the time, you know, blood testing, putting in orders, reading the scans, interacting with uh, other doctors, et cetera, et cetera. It's all there. So by the time I come home, I'm like done. I don't want any more. But what I see is that other people just go on and on and on because they get addicted to their devices. So again, I'm starting very gentle. So this is the first thing for purity is get rid of your devices or at least limit them. The same thing goes for iPhones, for iPads, etc., etc., etc. Okay. The second area of where impurities come is, and, and let me, before I go on to this, let me just say what Swami had said about cell phones. He says the youth are spoiling themselves because of these cell phones. You know what kids do. They download internet pornography onto their phones. They watch all sorts of things that they shouldn't be looking at. They do sexting, things that they shouldn't be doing, that no one should be doing through their phones. This is why the cell phones are so harmful. But they distract us from what we're really here to do, which is to realize that we're God. There's only one life purpose. That purpose is to know that you are God. Swami's will is for you to know that you are Swami. Not the physical form of Swami, but you are the eternal, omnipresent Sai. And that is who you are. And all these things, just distractions. They're distractions. Once, uh, one of our senior faculty members, uh, who is a very, very wonderful professor in uh, Swami's Brindavan campus, shared this story. And I'll just briefly summarize it. He was a college student in those days, and he had gone back to his home in Delhi, 
and it just so happened that uh, a new neighbor had moved in, and there was a, a young man about his same age. And this young man, who was not associated with the Sai organization, with Swami's work in any way, just couldn't understand how this young gentleman, our Sai student at the time, could just drop everything and go to Swami. How do you know that Swami is real? What is Swami all about? He's asking so many questions, and our, our uh, young gentleman tried to explain everything to, to his best ability, but somehow this young man just couldn't get it. It didn't sink in, did, did not register. So this young man went back to uh, Puttaparthi, and Swami spoke to him, and he said, he said about that boy, he said, too many attractions. Too many attractions. It's these attractions that uh, distract us, they pull us off the path, and they degrade the divinity within ourselves. I'm going to go over some more of these because they're very important. I know that, you see, usually in the Sai Center, no, we talk about pretty good topics, but we may shy away from some of the more controversial things, and I'm not one to shy away from controversy, so I'm going to address these directly. Let's go on to the next one. Internet pornography. Internet pornography. It is very addicting. It is very degrading. Its energy stays with the person for many months after the event. The energy stays on the tablet, on the phone, on the laptop, on the computer, on the desk, on the furniture, where those events were viewed for many, many months afterwards. It's a very vile, very degrading, and very, very addicting energy. But what's surprising to me is that when I talk about this with Sai devotees, even among some of the men, I see that they say, but what's the problem? Everybody does it. Like, Hello? What's wrong with you? And I'll tell you from my perception, I can see that some of the men have been doing this. I can see that some of you have been engaging in this type of activity. It shows up in the lower chakras as dark energy streamers that just clog up the entire functioning of that part of your body. This is what it looks like. Why do you do this? You don't have any sense control? Swami says that the best measure of your devotion is the degree to which your senses are under control. This energy is so addicting and it's so degrading. Now, ladies, don't think that you're off the hook. <laughs> Not that I'm saying that you are all doing bad things, but what happens is that energy affects you as well, right? Think about it. It's not that your, your husband or your son or your teenage friends who come into your home, they come and they go, etc. You also get affected by those things. What does Swami say? Avoid bad, what? Yeah. So if your husband or your boyfriend or your uh, child's friend or your teenage son or whoever it is, your daughter with the sexting and all these things, if they're doing the same thing, what do you think is happening to you? Are you immune to this? Not at all. You're all getting affected. So wake up. Wake up and see what is happening. You have to practice this discipline. You have to use common sense. Put controls on all of your electronic devices. Put parental controls on everything you come into contact with. And how many of you had talks with your teenage kids? I know a lot of you raised your hands when I asked how many of you had teenagers. How many of you had frank discussions with your children about this? How many times? All the time? Very good, very good. How about you? All the time, good. That's wonderful. Most of the time, at least in India, maybe where parents are very shy about this, it's maybe once, twice, and that's it. But among so many parents, I saw maybe five, ten hands go up. Why? 
Why haven't you discussed this with your kids? It starts not at 12, not at 10, not at 8. It starts at 4 years, 6 years. This is what kids are doing these age. Wake up. This is reality. And all of us are getting affected by these things. These are the impurities that affect every one of us. Now, there are some other impurities that some of us engage in from time to time. And again, we need to discuss these as well. Swami says that there are three things as devotees will never do. He says they will never uh, smoke or drink, they will never eat meat, and they will never gamble. Those are the three things. Let's go over each of these one by one. Let's the first one, smoking and uh, drinking alcohol. Smoking, the reason why people smoke is not because they don't have sense. That's different. The reason why people smoke is because they lack self-love. They lack self-love. If they love themselves sufficiently, they would never engage in such a destructive uh, behavior. And if they lack the self-love, no amount of arguments, no amount of persuasion, coercion, no amount of nicotine patches or medications will help them. You've all seen this in your family, right? I'm sure all of us have family members that smoke. How many of you have been successful long-term? Until they learn to love themselves, they will not be able to give up this habit. And we'll discuss this topic of self-love in much more detail tomorrow. So smoking is the first one. And again, I can see from some of the people here that some of you are still doing this. Why? Love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself. And the bad habits will automatically go away. Not in a selfish way. Don't love yourself in a selfish way, but love yourself for the divinity that is inside you. Alcohol. Alcohol is the one vice that will lead to all other vices. Right? It's the one vice that leads to all other vices. The other vices may stop there, but alcohol brings every other vice into play. And Swami is very clear on this. I have seen long-time devotees fall because of an alcohol binge. And once Swami was asked, Swami, there's so many devotees who've been with you for so many decades, but they don't seem to be moving. They tried, the devotee was trying to be very kind. They don't seem to be moving ahead. Basically, they're not doing anything. So Swami said, see, it's like this. Uh, in India, we have these kites and kite, kite strings. It's, the kite string is wound onto a spool, and you put the spool on your elbow, and you wind up the string like that. So... Uh, what happens is when we're, when we're letting a kite out, we let the spool out. But when we need to bring the kite back in, we wind the spool as we're going along so we can keep the, the string nice and neat. So Swami said, winding up the, the string onto the spool is like your sadhana. But what happens to, most, to many devotees, I'm just saying many devotees, what happens to many devotees is that in a moment of weakness, in a moment of a lack of discipline, they drop the spool and let it go. Then what happens? all that string goes back out. And everything that they've accumulated is lost. And this happens again and again and again to so many devotees. If you think about yourself, you'll see it's probably happened to most, if not all of us, including myself, one or more times because we lack that discipline at that crucial moment. In fact, Swami, as you all have heard, I've said this many times, Swami has said devotion, he said discipline, discipline is more important than devotion. Discipline is more important than devotion. Not a strict, rigid, militaristic style of discipline, but a joyful, happy discipline. Because what you're doing, you're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it for Swami. This happy, joyful type of discipline. So with that, that's smoking, alcohol, and then meat eating. 
Again, by looking in the crowd, I can see that some of you still continue to eat meat, although Swami clearly said in several discourses his devotees should not eat meat. Why? He says, I'll, I'll give you two reasons. He says that, obviously, first of all, it's cruel to the animal. Animals have not come for the purpose of providing food for humans. He says, yes, you can take some milk from a cow or a goat, that's okay, but to kill an animal is cruel. What happens is that the one who kills the animal, the one who cooks or prepares the animal, the one who serves the animal, and the one who consumes the animal, they all accrue karma. Okay? All four of them. So many times when I talk about this, there's often, almost always, one housewife, and I'm telling you now so you don't have to write it down as a question. There's always one lady who will ask this question. My husband or my relatives or usually my in-laws will, uh, will want me to prepare meat. What do I do? The one who kills the animal, the one who prepares the animal, the one who serves the animal, the one who eats the animal, they all accrue karma. This is how it works. So if you want to continue earning karma, that's fine. Continue as your path. Otherwise, you can, in a loving way, set up a sense of discipline as saying that this is not going to happen in our house. Finished. Now, it goes beyond that. Swami once said, see, I don't want to get into too many esoteric subjects, but we do need to understand some of the higher things behind this so that we can take it in the right light. Once, see, what happens is when an animal is consumed by another animal, the soul of that first animal takes birth in the lineage of the animal in which, who killed it. So, for example, if you're a deer and you get killed by a tiger, in your next birth you get born as a deer, okay? If you're a human and you get killed by a tiger, in your next birth you get born as a tiger. This is what happens. So what would happen in the old days, olden days meaning like Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga, when they understood this properly, is that when they recognized that a soul had been consumed by an animal and that soul had been lost into the animal lineage, they would then bring that animal to a certain special sacrificial area. A family who was ready to receive that soul would be, would be there, and they would then, with the soul's knowledge and permission, sacrifice the animal, and that soul would come into human birth again. This is what happened in the past. Of course, you have things like Indiana Jones and things like that, which have totally twisted it into something completely uh, rubbish. But that's how it worked. So what happens is that when we humans consume chicken, mutton, beef, hot dogs, sausage, etc., etc., etc. The souls of those animals take birth as what? Humans. But they've not gone through the soul evolution, the soul culturation that a soul normally goes through, and they get born with animalistic qualities. This is what Swami said. This is what Swami has said. And this is why you see so many of them on the planet today. Now, actually, the number of souls who are waiting to be born on our planet is much, much, actually many times larger than the number of souls that our planet is willing to accommodate at this time. So there are many other souls waiting in line, and Swami has said that it's akin, being born on this planet at this time is the same good fortune as winning the lottery. Now, I know that there are still some of you eating hot dogs, uh, turkey, chicken, et cetera, et cetera. We can, we can call you the chicken side devotees if you want. <laughs> but you will have to work it out on your own. And you will have to work out how you can do this, especially for those of you who are uh, residing in American bodies. It doesn't matter, Indian, American, Western, Eastern. It doesn't matter. 
you have to work it out. We, we did the same for our family. My wife, is, uh, her family initially was non-vegetarian. Her entire family converted into vegetarians uh, when they became Sai devotees, and it's fine. Now everybody respects them. Nobody, there's no problem with them. Even though the rest of their brothers and sisters, etc., are all non-vegetarian, it works out fine. And when they go to their home or somebody comes to, to their home, there's an understanding, there's a, a kindness, and it's, it's done with love. It's not, nobody goes around saying, don't eat that chicken, mom. You know, nobody does like that. It's done in love. It's done in, in, and that's the best way to resolve these type of situations. Okay, so that's smoking, alcohol, non-vegetarian food, and then gambling was the last one. Swami says that when you gamble, you, if you win, uh, first of all, let me ask, how many of you have played the lottery in here? How many of you played the lottery? How many of you have won? One or two? How many of you have gone to the casino, let's say in Las Vegas or Atlantic City, and you played and you won something there? Few people, okay. So did anything good happen to you afterwards? Not really? I asked this question to, uh, to one of our students when I was talking about this, and she said, yes, sir, my father won the lottery last week. He won $1,000. said, what happened to him afterwards? He says, three days later, he lost his job. So what Swami says is that when you gamble, you not only take on the winnings of whatever your share is, you also take on a portion of all the karma, of, of some of the karma of all the people who played but lost. This is what happens when you gamble. You take on a portion of the karma of all the people who also played but lost. This is why you should never gamble. Never make even a bet, not even a friendly sports bet, because you don't know what you're taking on. Okay? See, this is how we pick up impurities without realizing it. This is how we accrue all these karmas, all these vasanas, tendencies, all these vrittis, these impulses that come up, and they ruin our ability to uh, receive the truth. I will tell you that if you are watching internet pornography or pornography in any form, you are not fit to receive the highest truths. It simply will not come to you. How? How is it possible? That purity has to be there. That purity has to be there. And Swami has said so many times, what matters is this purity. If that purity is not there, how will you understand the truths? How is it possible? It cannot happen. Purify yourselves. So we've talked about a couple of ways. There are many, many more things, many, many more ways. Uh, we pick up uh, impurities through our speech. How we use our speech, for example. Speech is a divine gift. And how we use our speech, can, our speech can be used to uplift others. It can be used to inform. It can be used to entertain. But sometimes, as we all know, speech can be very harmful. Swami says that when we send a negative thought or a negative word or a negative impulse to someone else, it comes back to us multiplied seven times over. Again, we're picking up unnecessary karmas. We're picking up unnecessary impurities that are making us less capable of understanding this truth. So when someone was asking me, why aren't we able to realize the truth? Why, Swami says, the only difference between him and us is that he knows that he is God, but we do not. Why don't we know that? It's because of this. The, the technical reason, Swami says, is that this whole creation is like a mirror, what I had uh, started discussing earlier. And these impurities are like the dust, the malas, that get onto the surface of the mirror. They're no longer able to see clearly. Then we have this tendency to doubt, this tendency to waver. Those are called vikshepa. 
and that is the, 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 like the shaking of the mirror, so it's no longer steady. If the mirror is moving, you won't be able to see your reflection possibly, properly, correct? So these doubts, I would suggest have firm faith. Swami is God, and so are you. Everything is God. Is there anything in creation that is not God? Is there anything in creation that is not perfect as it is? Is there anything that exists beyond God or besides God? I'm not able to see anything except God. Everywhere I look, everything that I see, everything that I touch, everything that comes in contact to me is God. The podium, the microphone, the people sitting before me, it's all Swami. Everything is that divine self. But to perceive it, you have to get rid of these impurities. You have to get rid of this wavering tendencies. Get rid of these doubts. Swami says doubts will destroy. And so whatever doubts you have, it doesn't mean you suppress your doubts. Get over it and find the answer quickly so that you can get rid of the doubts and move on. And the third quality that covers this mirror are the, is the avarna. That is the, it's like a cloth made up of mine, and my, these things. What is, the, what is mine, what is yours? Ego, basically, ahamkaram. And that, only the grace of the Lord can remove. But I'll tell you a secret. If you achieve purity, Swami will automatically remove that cloth for you. He'll take it off for you. He, he loves it. All you have to do is have that purity. That's enough. That's enough. Now then, how do we achieve that purity? I've discussed some of the things that cause us to become impure. Remember that at the God level, we are already pure. We're already divine. But how do we achieve that purity? How do we remove whatever impurities we have already accrued? One of the best ways is what we've already done by singing the name of the Lord. This Namasmarana is one of the most powerful ways to remove any impurities. It's like scrubbing ourselves clean. Second way is through service. Again, something we're all doing, hopefully, on a regular basis. That in that service, we subjugate, we eradicate the ego, the sense of my and mine, so that we become pure. We get rid of all uh, false pretenses of pride, of being smarter, of being better than anyone else, and we let it all go. The truth is that there is nothing higher than you, and there is nothing lower than you. All of these saints and sages, all of these rishi munis, the, uh, let's see, brahma rishis, the deva rishis, the whatever, all of these are only parts of yourselves. It's only part of you. How are they different? How are they separate from you when everything is you? A few days ago, before I left Bangalore, we had a Swamiji visit the campus. This gentleman is a very wonderful soul, very wonderful being. And uh, in India, we have this tendency, as soon as somebody's sacred comes, we do like this and say, oh, Sairam, and all this, and you know, follow his feet and all these things. And then afterwards, I scold the people. They're all smart, bright, intelligent people, and I asked him how, what he's teaching is true, what he's teaching is Swami's teachings only, but how is he different from you? Why are you putting him on a pedestal? Why don't you recognize the truth that you and he are the same? And learn from that. This man had come, other than falling at his feet, did you ask him anything? Did you ask him, please teach me about the Brahma Vidya, the knowledge of the truth? Did you ask him about self-realization? They said, no, sir. I said, why not? Why did you waste that opportunity? Isn't that what matters? Don't put anyone on a pedestal. And don't put anyone below you. Everyone and everything is a part of you. And this is the first homework. 
This is the first homework. The first homework is to see every person that you come in contact with as part of you. Okay? The second homework is to see everything that you come in contact with as part of you. And the third homework is to remind everything that you come in contact with that this is also God. You can do it in a loving way, just because it will, it's for you. It's not for, for anyone else, it's for you. Just tell the podium, the mirror, the hall, the other people in your heart, because this is a silent retreat, that you are also God. You are also God, you are divine. You are perfect love, you are perfect beauty. And we love you, I love you so much. Make this a habit, because this will help you to see divinity in everything. These are the three homeworks. Any, any questions? So what are the three homeworks? Can you tell me what in the, wearing the, in the white? Seeing God in every person. Second is seeing God in everything. And third? That's tomorrow's homework. <laughs> everything that you come in contact with, you are going to remind them because they forgot, they forgot. You're going to remind them that it is also God. Remember the weeping sari story that happened so many years ago? Swami had chosen some saris to give to the ladies and he, the ones that he had chosen, he had kept on one side and the ones that he had not chosen, he kept on a table. And when Hislop came into the room, he saw that the saris were weeping. There was actually tears coming from the saris and he asked Swami about it. He said, everything is divine, everything is consciousness and these saris were feeling rejected because I had rejected them and that's why they're crying. And then Swami took those saris and distributed them to the other ladies who he felt uh, needed them. That's the weeping Sari story. Everything is divine. Everything is consciousness. Everything is your eternal omnipresent Sai. See it as that. That's the purpose of this homework. Why? Because we forget. And when you remind everything, the microphone, the podium, your socks, your shoes, whatever it is, you are also God. You're reminding yourself that everything is God. And what happens? How many of you, how many of you, most of you drove here today, right? All of you drove here today. How many of you, as you were driving, felt a little bit of grr as somebody was driving near you? Yeah? Dr. Michael first one to raise his hand, right? Yeah, all of us, pretty much. So much you know. Now suppose that this car or driver, whoever cut you off, and you saw that in the driver's chair was Swami, and Swami, as he passed you by, did like this, and then drove on. <laughs> what would you do then? You would probably laugh and go on your way. Everyone is Swami. Everyone is Sai. And that's the purpose of this homework. So there's 150-some people here. I want you to see 150 Swamis for this weekend, okay? All right? And I really want you to see them, not just ha-ha, intellectually see them. I really want you to see them as Swami. I want to see how deep you can take this practice. This is a very basic practice, but a very critical one. How deep can you take this practice? Okay, now for those of you who are familiar with this type of practice already, I'm going to give you a little bit more advanced homework to do. Now I want you to love them as Swami. 
In the first step, you were just seeing them as Swami, and you were saying, ah, Swami, inside of you. Now in the second step, I want you to love them as Swami. It does not mean, and please don't do this because Al and the others will kill me, don't fall at their feet, don't go ask them for an interview, don't do any of those things. (laughs) But inside, I want you to give them the same love and adoration that you would give Swami. I'll tell you a story. Once, this happened in the 1990s when Mother Teresa was still living, and Swami sent one of the doctors who was at that time working in the super specialty hospital in Puttaparthi to Kolkata, at that time called Calcutta, to meet Mother Teresa and to spend some time with her. That's all. Just go and spend some time with Mother Teresa. No other instructions were given. So this doctor dutifully left for uh, Calcutta and went with Mother Teresa and stayed at uh, her home as a visitor for some time. And it just so happened that one day, as they're going through one of the homes for people with leprosy, Mother Teresa saw this leprosy patient full of pustules and wounds and, and just gaping sores, and they were just oozing pus, oozing pus. Mother Teresa immediately went to that patient and with the hem of her own sari started to clean up his wounds. The doctor said, wait, 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 Mother Teresa, I'll get you some gloves, I'll get you some cotton gauze, wait, wait, wait. Mother Teresa very gently, very sweetly just just told him to wait, and she finished up her work. After she was finished, she cleaned off her own sari with soap and water and cleaned off her hands, and it was done. Then Mother Teresa asked the doctor, said, uh, are you a devotee of Sai Baba? He said, yes, yes, Mother, yes, Sai Dham, Sai Dham, Sai Dham. <laughs> Mother Teresa asked, if your Sai Baba had been sitting there with wounds, bleeding pus, and blood, what would you have done? The mother immediately would have gone and treated him. Mother Teresa said, you see, for me, this person here is my Jesus Christ. And when my Jesus is here, bleeding with pus and wounds from his, bleeding pus from his wounds, won't I automatically go to him and tend to him as if he were Jesus? Now, the doctor went back to Swami, and, and, uh, and as usual, uh, Swami pretended like he doesn't know anything, and he was walking around. He said, oh, you've come. He said, yes, Swami, I went to Kolkata, just as you had said. Oh, and then like Swami's looking up like this. He looks back, says, oh, you saw Mother Teresa? He says, yes, Swami, I saw Mother Teresa. Acha, cha, cha, cha. Then uh, what did she say? Swami, we uh, saw the home for people with leprosy and we saw all the patients and how she's taken care. They're really doing wonderful work, Swami. Oh, he said. Uh, and then Swami said, did you see the person with uh, leprosy who's uh, bleeding pus and blood from his wounds? Yes, Swami. Uh, uh, what did Mother Teresa do? And then the doctor explained. And then what did she say? The doctor said, uh, Swami, uh, she said that uh, I see each person as Jesus, and I'm treating this person as if uh, he were Jesus Christ. Then Swami said, "Acha, acha, acha. Very good, very good. Then Swami said, "This is how I want you to treat every person you meet." Okay. So this is the next level of the homework. In the first level, you're just going to see each person as God, as Swami, or if you want, as Jesus or Buddha, it doesn't matter, whatever is your preference. In the second level of the homework, you're actually going to love them as if they were Swami, okay? Is that enough homework, or can I give you one more? One more level, okay? One more level of homework. In the third level of homework, 
We'll see how we can do this one. With this one may be a little bit tough, but let's see how we can do it. In the third level of homework, you're going to lose yourself in that love. You're going to lose yourself in that love. You will lose yourself. You will become like that sugar candy in the water that dissolved in the sweetness of Krishna. You will lose yourself in that love. There's no longer a you. It's just Sai. Just seeing that person is enough. In my practice in Swami's hospital in Whitefield, I see, you know, in Cleveland, when I was in Cleveland Clinic, we were seeing 13, 14 patients per day. I thought, ah, such a busy day. Here in Swami's hospital, I see 40, 50 patients per day, and I still have so many other things to do on top of that. And despite seeing so many patients, we're still able to treat everyone with utmost kindness, utmost respect, and very importantly, the utmost quality. So my practice, this is my personal practice, is when each person comes in, I see them automatically as Swami. They're Swami to me. It's as if Swami has walked into my room and I give them the same love. And the love that comes pouring from me to that patient is enough. Is enough. It doesn't matter what medicines I give them. It doesn't matter when I schedule them for surgery. That love is enough to bring about the healing that's required. That is what what matters. When I'm taking care of them, when I'm measuring their blood pressure cuff, when I'm measuring their blood pressure with the cuff, the sweetness and the kindness with which that cuff is put on their arm. It's not like I just hastily pull up their sleeve and then slap the blood pressure cuff on. There's such sweetness. There's such love. And I've actually had patients shed tears in front of me because of that love. It's Swami's love only. When I speak to them, it's not like I say, okay, take these, three blood, take these three tablets, check your blood pressure monthly, eat less salt, exercise, lose some weight. Okay, next patient, please. <laughs> There's a sweetness in which we, we talk with them. There's a sweetness in how we relate to them. And it's because that sweetness is Swami's sweetness. It's Swami talking to Swami. I am Sai, and so are you. And it's just that love, loving love. It's just love, loving love. So these two simple practices, love, service, chanting the name, this is sufficient for purification. For purification of the mind, meditation is required. And this is what we'll discuss tomorrow morning. This is what we'll talk about tomorrow. Not not just talk about, but we'll actually practice. Okay? Let's end with... Well, before I end, are there any questions? Feel free, because you're not going to be able to talk for the next 48 hours after this. Al. You mentioned chicken, fish, beef. What about eggs? What about eggs? In the ashram, they don't allow eggs. But I know that for some people, specifically individually, Swami has said that they can eat eggs. In general, it depends. It's very easy to get a sufficient amount of protein. Here in the West, we, we worry about protein. And uh, as if we don't get enough protein. Most people have too much protein. Most people have too much fat and too much calories also. So as long as you get a sufficient amount of protein, then that's enough. It has to be high-quality protein, though, with a diverse component. And you can get that from vegetable sources as well. Okay. Eggs have a rajasic quality. They, they're a quality of raja, rajasic, so that's why we tend to avoid them for spiritual purposes. So that means that they dull the consciousness? Yes, yeah. Even, even too much cheese does that. Too much milk, too much yogurt. It's okay to have them in moderation, but if you go out and have a double or quadruple layered cheese pizza, next day you're going to feel very dull and, and down, and your consciousness will also come down. What about like, uh, like uh, 
See, for me, food is very simple. Eat the food that has the highest life force. Eat the food that has the highest amount of prana. I've, uh, I've been in the U.S., back again in the U.S. for about five days now, and uh, I think it's been... We've, we didn't have a microwave oven when we moved back to India. We don't have a microwave oven still. And you know how it is when you microwave your food. One side will be hot, the other side will still be cold. You know, all this... <laughs> And this is how it is, I thought. And then they're making all this delicious food, and then I'm seeing that it's all frozen vegetables. Uh, you know, I mean, okay, I know that there's restrictions with scheduling and work, and we're all too busy and stuff. But eat the food with the highest amount of life force. Now, I'm glad you reminded me about this, because I'll tell you a trap that I fell into when I first started working at Swami's Hospital. There's so much work to do, so many patients, so many people, and there's so many opportunities to help. You always want to continue to serve, and you want to give and give and give and give and give until the body falls flat. So that trap happened to me as well, and I forgot that, you know, when it comes to service, who is serving whom? Who is serving whom? The patients are Swami, the Elderly people in the nursing home are Swami. The ones coming to sing for them are Swami. The ones moving the chairs in the morning are Swami. The ones who are cleaning the dining hall are Swami. The chairs that are being moved are also Swami. The dirt that is being swept up is also Swami. The ones who prepared the food are also Swami. Everything is Sai. Can you point to anything in creation that is not Sai? I can't find anything. And I've looked and looked. Everything is Sai. The trap that I had fallen into, and this comes under the category of distractions, is the trap of doing. We are human beings, not human doings. But what happens is we tend to get into this trap of doing, 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 doing. Once, uh, back in 2009, we'd all gone for a trip to Parthi. Everyone from the hospital had gone. And uh, Swami called us in for an interview, a group interview inside the mandir. It was wonderful. We all got interview with Swami. He gave us so many gifts. He showered so much love. It was wonderful. And then we were all ready to go back because it was Sunday afternoon. The next day was a working day. As usual, uh, myself and my wife, my wife's name is Shivani. Shivani took Swami's permission to leave. And Swami said, no. I what to do. Monday I had operation scheduled. I had patients to see. Okay, well, Swami said no. I spoke to my boss, and, and he said, okay, when Swami permits you, you come back. Second day came. I thought Swami just wanted to stay an extra day, have an extra darshan, and so forth. I spoke to Swami the next day. Swami said, no. Two, three days go by. I went again and asked Swami, Swami, we'd like to return back to Bangalore with your blessings and permission. He said, stay for a while. And this went on for, and I spoke to my boss, I spoke to the director, I said, they said oh, what could we do? I mean, Swami's saying, no, then you stay. This went on for three weeks. And during those times, in the morning, you know, in the mornings when Swami would come, there was usually nobody on the veranda, it's just uh, myself and maybe one or two other people, because all the faculty and other guests were uh, in the university or in the hospital. So many times Swami would just come, and he would just sit right in front of me, and I would just sit like that, in silence, not saying anything. The, the teaching that went on between him, from him to me during that time is priceless, just immemorable. But what he showed me is that we are not here to do, we are here to be. We are here to be. And the most important being is to be love. And that's the practices that I'm giving you tonight. And it starts immediately after this session. Be, just be, 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 be. So when it comes to distractions, I want all of you to look at your to-do list and to cut it in half. Look at your to-do list 
and cut it in half. Most of the things that we think we have to do arise from the mind. If we are really doing them from Swami's will, you will see that actually things are very simple. Swami doesn't give us a hundred things to do. He will at least, he will give us the direction and the energy and the intelligence to do them, but he will take care of the execution. Cut your to-do list in half. All that thing, that, that to-do list, it's all mind-level stuff only. Forget it. Tune into the Swami inside and act from that knowledge. Act from that wisdom. Act from that intelligence and that divine energy. Then you'll see there's nothing left to do. Let me just give you an example. So uh, the sister in the striped dress there. Yeah. What's your heart doing right now? What is your heart doing right now? Beating. I hope so. As a cardiologist, I really hope so. <laughs> so are you making it beat? No? Are you forcing it to beat? Are you saying, beat faster, beat faster? No? Or beat slower? What is your kidneys doing? Kidney stuff, right? Whatever kidneys do, they do kidney stuff. Are you making it do that? It's just happening, right? And so when you're completely in tune with the Lord when you're completely immersed in the Lord, when you've lost yourself and completely dissolved into Swami, everything just in your life happens automatically. There's no need to do anything. If you think you need to do, that means you're working from the mind and no longer working from Swami. Okay, is that clear? Everyone understand? If you think you need to do something, you're working from the mind. You're not working from Swami. We'll discuss this again tomorrow when we talk about Seva. Okay, so can we repeat the homework that we have to do? Can someone tell us the homeworks, please? Number one, see everyone as Swami. Number two, well, let's, let's, go, let's go in order. So see everyone as Swami. Number two is to see everything as Swami. Number three, because we all forget, is to remind everything that it is Swami. And when we do that, we're reminding ourselves. That's the purpose of this exercise, to remind ourselves. When you tell the shower faucet that you are God, when you tell the water falling upon you, when you take your shower that you are God, you're just reminding yourself that everything is God. Everything is God. That's the purpose. And then when we go back to seeing everyone as Swami, how do we take it further? We love them as Swami. We love them as Swami. We love everyone and everything as if it were Swami. And then how do we go even further still? We lose ourselves in that love, in that sweetness of Swami's love. There's no longer an I, it's just sigh. So with that, let's close uh, for this evening. Let's end with Om and Three Shantis. Tomorrow morning we have meditation and we'll continue on this topic. And then in the morning session we'll cover self-realization through the path of wisdom. And in the afternoon we'll cover self-realization through the path of uh, devotion and service. Okay, let's end with Om and Three Shantis, please. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti.